um, I can't remember exactly what series it was. We was teaching that if that ignorance of the purpose of a thing, if you do not know what the purpose of something is, abuse is inevitable. And so, if we don't realize, sometimes you know the, the Bible says that my people are destroyed uh, for a lack of knowledge. And so, as a pastor, as a teacher of God's word, the 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 number one goal should be to feed the flock, and you feed the flock with understanding, with knowledge and understanding. You understand knowledge and understanding. Understanding is just another word for wisdom. Knowledge is is something being revealed, fact being revealed. Wisdom, the word wisdom, you could actually understand wisdom to be the right use of knowledge, right? Because if you don't, how many of you know you can have all the information in the world? Or let's put it this way, practical application. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't know how do I take that knowledge, that was a good word, man, got some good teaching from the Bible. How do I get that word? How do I apply it to my life in my everyday life? Or how does the consciousness of that information how do I begin to take that knowledge, integrate it into my life, and and see the benefits of God's Word? Because let's just be honest about it. If there's no practical application of the Word of God, it's useless to you. And it doesn't mean that the Word can't be practically applied. You can have the, mo- you can have the most tremendous revelation of God's Word that you can get, but if you can't apply that to your life, it's not going to benefit you anything. You know, you heard a good Bible story. And this is really why so many people uh, in the world that the, God, that, that, that the Word of God is really irrelevant to them because they maybe have heard Bible stories. Okay, that's great. How does that apply to my life now? Amen. And, and you understand that, that compounds the problem when people are of the mindset that miracles and supernatural things are done away with because there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that it's believing the Word speaking God's word about your circumstances out of your mouth, believing your heart, and miraculously it changing, right? Which the whole, which really seems ridiculous, since that's the whole way we get born again, right? And then if the most, if the most uh, powerful miracle that takes place in your life takes place from you believe something that God's word said so much that you believe it in your heart, and it governs what you allow yourself to think and the words that come out of your mouth, and you speak that, and you begin to speak God's circumstances. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. My sin debt's paid in full. And if I believe that God raised him from the dead, I confess him that he's the Lord of my life, I'm going to be born again. And, I, and I'm going to become a new creature in Christ Jesus. I mean, if we can believe that, how much more easy should it be able for us to believe? You know what the Bible says, God's Word says, that by the stripes on Jesus' back that I'm healed. And so when anything contrary to healing comes against me, I just need to say, what do I believe in my heart? And, I, and you allow that to govern what you speak, out, what you think, and what you speak out of your mouth. And in some, in some cases, even what you, how you behave. Amen? But this evening, we want to look at the subject of the Trinity of Man. And we want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, take a look at a couple of key texts. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm going to back up. I'm going to start with verse 15. I, just, I want to read it to you in its context. I don't want it to look like we're just cherry-picking this verse because, I mean, what what it says can stand alone, but I like to give it to you in its context. In Paul's closing remarks to the Thessalonians in this epistle, verse 15 says, 
See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Well, praise God, you could preach a sermon on that, couldn't you? Repay no one evil for evil. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies. Test all things, hold fast uh, to hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify, and you understand that word sanctify means to be set aside for a specific purpose. If Jesus is your Lord, you understand you have been set aside for a specific purpose. Amen. Now Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he talked about that you, you can decide what kind of vessel you are. You understand that you got born again, you became a vessel, you were set aside for God's use. The devil doesn't have a right to use you anymore. You don't have a right to use you anymore. Amen. That's not popular. That's not popular, not in the culture that we live in, because nobody wants. I'm my own boss. I'm my own. Well, if you're, if you're your own boss, then God ain't your boss. If you're your own Lord, then Jesus is not your Lord. If I do anything I want to. Well, then Jesus ain't your Lord. Amen. You might have went to an altar and had your little emotional release or put your name on a church book several years ago, but there's a difference when he's Lord. You've been set aside. It's not common. Here's a practical example of something being sanctified. And you might say, well, that don't say... Because you understand that really, that's not even a religious word. We've made it a religious word. It just means something is set aside for a specific, special purpose. Pastor China, how many of you all heard the story about the 10-year-old China that sat for nine years in her bedroom in Broxton, Georgia, because we didn't have a china cabinet. But we had this several hundred dollars, almost $900 china set that people bought Cheyenne, the little old ladies, you know. I guess it's a southern thing. They like to go to the jewelry store and buy the the china, you know, buy your setting, buy your cup, buy your plate, whatever they could, you know. So you, it wasn't like one person had to go drop big money on china. But we had this $875 china set that sat in a box in Pastor Cheyenne's bedroom in her mama's house in Broxton, Georgia for nine years, and we bought, finally bought a dining room set with a china cabinet, and the china's in there now. <clears throat> and it's never been eaten off of yet. Matter of fact, some of the labels are strong. Like, we're going to break, we're going we're gonna to bust it up. We ain't going to bust up the china. We're going to eat off of it. <laughs> we're going to eat off of it soon. But uh, this china, we have, we have, uh, what is it, Corel? What are they called? Is that what they're called? Corel. We got these little Corel places. You buy at Walmart. You can buy like an eight-piece setting of them for what, twenty bucks, something like that. And four, four-place setting for twenty bucks. Okay. So we got those that we eat off of every day, relatively cheap. Okay. So we've got two eight-piece settings of the Corel. That's forty bucks grand total. What is that? A teacup and the other set, chink. Yeah. And the other set, almost nine hundred dollars. Well, that other set, that set of china, it is set aside in a special place in the china cabinet. It don't get slung in the dishwasher. It don't get stacked in the cabinet with the rest of it. You ain't throwing the corral. You ain't throwing the 40-buck corral on top of the $900 china in there, right? Why? Because that china is treated special, and it is set aside for a special specific use for special dinners, for holidays or other or anniversaries or other special dinners, that china is set aside for a specific, a specific and special use. It's treated with honor. We understand the Bible says is that God is that's what that's the way you are in God's sight. You know what? That that's why if we can teach young people, if you can teach 
because this thing, this type of teaching, it's applicable for everybody. Young people, young girls will not be as anxious to crawl up in the back seat of a car with some dude that's trying to smooth talk them and tell them how special they are if they got a revelation that the God who created this universe, he has sanctified you and he said you are special and you're his bride and you're set aside and you are beautiful and he loves you and the devil ain't got no right to get his mitts up on you. Right? And no young boy ain't got no right to be pawing around all over you, right? Amen? Amen. Now you understand some people, you know, you come into the church and it, your background might have been different. And, this, and that's not a statement of condemnation. It's to get a revelation. Did, did you do that in ignorance? Did people do that in ignorance? Paul was talking to one of the churches. Who was it? Was it the Galatians? But he said, he said, you know, some there were some of you that were fornicators and some of you were blasphemers and some of you were this and some of you were that. I mean, he's gone down the laundry list of, of sins and, and types of sin that people... He said, but you've been washed. But you've been cleansed. But, you know, thank God, uh, sometimes I say, thank God for the buts in the Bible. Amen? Because <laughs> but's a little word that has, has a tremendous meaning. And so you understand, so he, Paul is saying here to the Thessalonians, he said, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. How many of you know God wants people sanctified completely? God doesn't want, <clears throat> God doesn't want your spirit sanctified and set apart for a specific use for him, but your mouth will be set aside for potty mouth talking. God doesn't want just to sanctify your spirit, uh, your spirit and your soul, and your body go do its own thing. God wants all of you sanctified and set apart for his special use. Because does this sound familiar? You have an assignment in the earth. You have a purpose, Right? And some people, this is the thing, do not underestimate the significance. Your purpose might just be to be a good employee at your workplace and be a witness to God. And every place you go, people will go, man, there's something different about you. You don't act like most of the Christians I know. I had people tell me all the time when I worked with them, man, you don't act like most of the Christians I know. And I said, thank you. Amen? Don't underestimate. God wants to sanctify you for his use, it said he, but he wants you completely. He wants you completely. How many of you husbands and, and, and wives, how many of you all that are married would want your spouse to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to be faithful to you six days a week, but man, I just have one day a week, I can just get out and swing, baby, swing. <laughs> just one night. I mean, come on, I'm giving you six. Okay, what if I give you six, six days and 12 hours? You just give me 12 hours just to get fa- uh, foot loose and fancy free. Come on now. Come on, right? Why? Why? Because you want that person completely, don't you? Right? This thing, how, you know, I'm, I'm keeping it G because I know we have little ears in the room. How many of you would like, if you were enjoying uh, marital prerogatives, wink, wink, <laughs> with your spouse and you thought they were thinking of someone else? Glory to God, that, you know, burning bed thing going on, right? Where's the kerosene and the lighter at? Well, what's the point? The point is, is you want them completely. Look, I just, you know, I don't just want your body here. I don't want want your mind. I want all of you. That's what God wants. God wants to sanctify you wholly. Well, and that means completely, all of you. When I say holy in that context, I mean W-H-O-L-L-Y, right? Holy, completely. God wants to sanctify you for his use uh, only. And so this is the thing, when we're talking about completely, you need to know, because sometimes people 
um, out of ignorance, and, and everybody listen to me because Pastor Brian's real redundant about, redundant about this issue. Right? I'm repetitive about this. Ignorant does not mean stupid. Ignorant just means you're unaware of something. Ignorant is not ignorant is not a comment on your intelligence at all. It's just have you been informed of something. Ignorance don't know better. Stupid knows better and does it anyway, right? Amen. And someone said you can't fix stupid. Amen. How many of you know God can fix stupid? Most of you, if you be honest, there, you could raise your hand and say, God can fix stupid because I used to do stupid stuff and God fixed it, right? Amen. So God can, you can't, God can fix stupid, right? But we need to know, we need to be aware of so that we're not ignorant that God is very concerned about com- you being completely sanctified and so we need to know what when we say completely all parts of you amen and so this is where we get to now may god of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless brother hagan used to say that um People, a lot of times people would say, now may God preserve you, uh, blameless, your whole body, soul, and spirit. How many of you ever heard people misquote stuff like that? Sometimes people just get tongue-tied. Well, you know, God wants to preserve your body, soul, and spirit. Well, it's spirit, soul, and body, and it's in that order particularly. Brother Hagin uh, made the comment, though, one time that the people that are saying, may God preserve you, body, soul, and spirit, that might be, you know, he didn't use this term, but we will we understand what you mean by Freudian slip. Subconsciously, this is what some of the priorities are because people are so flesh conscious that they'll subconsciously put it in that order. When God placed it, you know, every word in the scripture is placed there in the order of the Holy Spirit in spirit, soul, and body. God wants to preserve you, <coughs> He wants you to be uh, sanctified completely your spirit, soul, and body. Turn to uh, Genesis chapter 2. Amen. So much of what we look at in the Bible, and we've done this with the past several things we've taught, you've got to go back to the original intention, right? You've got to go back to the original design. How many of you know if you go, if you got a house that you want to get remodeled, and say, you know, and say it's a big house, and it's, say we're talking five, 6,000 square foot house, right? Big house, 10,000 square foot, whatever. Not, you know, we're not talking three-bedroom rancher, right? A big house that you'd like to do some remodeling. How many of you are watching these these remodeling shows on TV? Now, smaller homes, it's not that big of a deal. But in bigger homes, um, before you just start tearing into stuff, they want you to look at a blueprint. Most of the architects, they want to go get a blueprint, right? Let's go get a blueprint and let's take a look at this and let's see where load-bearing walls are. Let's see where electrical plumbing and all this stuff comes in. And let's get some diagrams and let's look at some stuff because you know this, that sometimes I, I saw one show where... Um, this they had put a bathroom in a living room and all they did they just come in they stuck up two little walls and a door and they cut a hole in the floor and run some water lines up and it was just completely just it looked so completely out of place and they had to they wanted to get it back to its original thing well how many know sometimes in in big jobs you got to begin to look at some blueprints now you understand this god ain't just remodeling you god re god leveled you god i like those uh what was that show comes on sunday i never see it on sunday night but i know it comes on completely Extreme home makeover. I saw one one time where I thought that ain't a remodel. How can they call that a? How can they call it a remodel? They just come in and they walk in and people say, "Man, this place is a dump bulldozer." And then they just build a new house. 
Okay? That's, 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 that's extreme. That's what God did with you. You understand me? That's what God did with you. There ain't nothing left of the old person you used to be. God, boom, come in, remodeled that, and made you a, a, a new creature in Christ Jesus. But that that takes place. How many know when you got born again, and, we, and we'll get to this, your spirit got born again. Your body didn't, right? Your soul didn't. And we're going we're gonna to differentiate some stuff because some people I know, I grew up in the church I grew up in, they talked like the spirit and the soul was the same thing. And there was very little, uh, you know, that they did to differentiate it. And, and we'll see that there's, there's a good reason sometimes here. People nowadays even, the contemporary thought is people, they think that, that there's just two parts of you. They think you, you've got a, a soul and a body. And, uh, and there's a reason that people think that too. It's because spiritually dead people don't recognize that they got a spirit. Amen? But so God, your spirit got born again. But we want to look back at what God's original plan was. How, what was God's original intent? What was the original blueprint like? And in Genesis chapter 2, um, we're going to look at verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, that's what the King James, New King James says. King James says man became um, a living soul. Um, does anyone have the New American Standard? What's the New American Standard? Amen. Living being. Okay, before we get too far, on your hand out there, man is comprised of three components or parts, spirit, soul, and body. And yes, I, there's an extra space there, amen. <clears throat> components or parts, however you want to word that. Um, man is uh, composed of three components, your spirit, your soul, and your body. Um and so we look here and we see this is that God created man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Um, Genesis 1.26, let's back up to Genesis 1.26 and read there. It says, uh, then God said, let us, let us, right? That lets you know us means more than me, right? God didn't say let me, let me make man. In my own image. God said, let us. And the reason I emphasize that, you understand, there's some denominations out there that, um, you know, they call them Jesus, you know, Jesus only or whatever. They don't believe in the, the Trinity. And you're going to hear this word. And, this, and I like to try to give you these nuggets just so in anticipation of some of the potential snares that people would try to put out there for you. The word Trinity does not appear any place in the Bible. Amen. I had, a, I had a friend of mine tell me one time, you can't find the word Trinity any place in the Bible, can you? I said, you can't find rapture either, but I bet you want to go someplace when the trumpet blows. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Amen. It says, then God said, uh, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him, male and female. Notice that he created him, male and female, because the spirit of man, when we're talking about the spirit of man, it is not a diss on ladies when the Bible talks about man, because man was made male and female. 
right? Um, he created them, and God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created man in his image. And it's interesting, that word that's translated man in the Hebrew, it's actually the word Adam. Adam, where we get Adam. God created Adam, and it says that he was created, and this is a little bit out of order, but you can skip on to here. The third one says, man was created in God's likeness and image. And that word likeness, it literally means resemblance, um, model, or shape, uh, it, or uh, fa- like fashion, likeness, manner, or similitude. I'm going to give it to you again. Likeness literally means resemblance, model, shape, like fashion, likeness, manner, similitude. The word image, I got those out of order for you. Amen. The word image is, um, it means shade, a phantom that is figuratively an illusion, resemblance, or representative figure. So God created man in his likeness and his in his image. And that's why we said, you know, you've heard Pastor Earl say this, I've said this before. When the devil came along, remember Satan's whole intention was to get God to bow down and worship him, to get God to be submitted to him. Remember when we read uh, is it's in Isaiah when it talks about Satan, you know, the, the Lucifer says, I'm going to exalt my throne above the throne of the Most High. I'm going to exalt my position of authority. That's why when Satan saw Adam and Eve, he he thought, that looks just like God. And it's not, and you understand this, it's not saying that you are God any more than if you take an original document and put it on a copier and make a copy of it. Okay? It looks just like the other document. It reads just like it. It contains the same content. It's just, it ain't the original though. Do we understand that? We're not saying that that man is on the same level as, as God, but you were created in his likeness and his image, right? And so, his, and so, because why? Because the original purpose was, the original purpose was, I'm creating the earth, I'm putting man on the earth, and I'm going to make him look just, I'm going to make him just like me. He's going to be my likeness, my image. He's going to look like God. And so, you understand this is that. Um, we saw this. Let's go back and look at this again. God said, let us. Well, we talked about, we saw over in Thessalonians chapter 5 where God said, the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul to the Thessalonian church said, may the, uh, may the God of peace sanctify you completely. And I pray that your whole spirit, soul, and body. So there's three components to man. If we were created in God's likeness and image, does it kind of make sense that there would be three components or three persons that make up God, the Godhead? And so we want to look at this is that the, that the God is manifested in three persons. God the Father. This is on your handout. God the Father. God the Word or the Son. I've got God the Word slash Son slash Jesus. And the Holy Spirit. And just, I'll throw this in. This won't cost you anything extra. Please don't ever refer to the Holy Spirit as it. He is a person. He is a divine personality. He is the third member of the Godhead. You know? How would you like it if you came in a room and Rosalie comes in a room and says, Well, there's Rosalie. I guess it's going to be here for service tonight. <laughs> and he says, 
<laughs> Amen. It's, it's, it's personally degrading to refer to a person as a thing, right? So the Holy Spirit, he is, a, he is a person, right? Now, the anointing is a thing, and I think sometimes a lot of people just misspeak. They say, oh, I felt, I felt the Holy Spirit, uh, it, it was so thick. I think what a lot of people just don't realize, they're talking about the anointing that they feel in the presence of the Holy Ghost. Amen? But the Holy Spirit is a person. And so we want to see this, is that in the beginning, and in, and in this passage, we, I want to give you some scripture real quick just to let you know, to, to just give you a little sample of there, there is a three-part composition of God, the Godhead. Um, God the Father is the creator. When we read in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God the Father is the creator. You understand that word Father? We understand it as the male, uh, the male component of a marriage that comes together with the female that produces, and we understand the male is the daddy. But that word, it literally, it literally means progenitor or the source of origin, right? And so God, when we talk about God the Father, it's talking about He is the source of all things. All life, He is the source of creation. He is the source of all life. He is God the Father. All things proceed from Him, right? So when we see in creation... God the Creator is God the Father, okay? It says, so it says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. This is Genesis 1-2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So here in Genesis 1-1, we see, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God the Father is the Creator. Genesis 1-2. And the Holy Ghost was there. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Well, there's the third person of the Godhead. Some people might be going, what do you mean? God spoke. What did God speak? God spoke words. Who was the Word? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld Him, right? Who's that talking about? That's talking about Jesus. So Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2, and 1, 3. Those three verses right there demonstrate all three members of the Godhead, all three components, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son, the spoken word of God, were present during, uh, during creation. Amen? We're going to take a look. Look in uh, the, the first epistle of John, chapter 5. First John five, and we want to look at verse seven. For there are three that bear witness in heaven: the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. First John five seven. First John five seven. There are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And we understand that the Word is Jesus, right? Because you can read in Revelations when he comes back, his name's going to be written on his thigh. And it's not a tattoo, but is written on his thigh, the Word of God. So there are three. There's three uh, components of God. And so what we want you to see here is by giving you those examples in Genesis, giving you this verse, 
is that God consists of three distinct and recognizable persons and that man consists of three distinct and recognizable components. Just like we can look in Scripture and we can see God the Father, God the Son, or God the Word, and God the Spirit, you can look at man and you can see there is a spirit, there is a soul, and you have a body. And, and we'll say this, and this will be repeated several times over the course of this teaching, but you understand, your spirit is that part of you that God placed into you that the intention is, and we'll give you some scripture in a minute, the intention is that your spirit is the part of you that is uh, that was intended to be God-like, like, like God, and that you receive the things of God from in your spirit. Right? Your soul, we've said this before, is your mind, your will, your intellect, your emotions, and your body, of course. I, I, I like to say, how many of y'all ever saw that movie Men in Black? all men in black, right? Do you see the part, remember where the little old man that had the cat, that had the little galaxy hanging around its neck and everything, and the little old man, the little cockroach, the big cockroach alien came and killed him, and when he's laying in, uh, there dying, and his little face opens up, opens up, and there's this little bitty tiny alien sitting in his head, and you realize that the real uh, being was the little bitty man, and that that uh, body was just a vehicle that he used to move around, Right? So you remember what I'm talking about. You need to realize that is exactly what your body is. Your body, you understand this, that anything that's on the earth and operates in the earth is of the earth, right? Your spirit came from God. Your body, and maybe you've heard this term before, I, I, I believe I said before, your body is your license for the real you because the real you is your spirit, Right? This stuff right here, just like that little alien uh, in that in that body, that that body was not the real him. The real him was that little alien sitting up in the head, and, and the body was the vehicle. The real you is your spirit, and your body. All this stuff is this is your vehicle that your spirit has to has to have to operate upon the earth. Now, this is the thing you understand that some philosophers, some people in in the church. Uh, I can't remember. I don't really get into a whole lot of the, the false doctrine that people got off in the Bible. I just like to teach the real doctrine. Right? I don't study a whole lot of this. But there were entire sects, uh, S-E-C-T-S, sects of Christianity that got off in error because they said, well, you know, Jesus came to save your spirit or to get your spirit born again or to save your soul, and therefore what you do with the body doesn't matter. And so they got off into all kinds of immorality, and, and all kinds of just, you know, uh, perversion and stuff like that. Because they said, well, the body doesn't matter. Well, yes, the body does matter. And, and this is the thing. And this really, hopefully, over the course of this teaching, you'll begin to get a, a better realization of why God wants us to keep our bodies as healthy as we can. Because if I'm driving from uh, Valdosta to St. Augustine and my car breaks down before I get there, I ain't making the trip in that car. I mean, if I, if the transmission goes out or the motor blows up, I ain't making the trip in that car, am I? That trip for that vehicle until there's some massive repairs done, that trip's over, right? That's why God wants you to take care of your body. That's why this is the thing, okay? And let's just step right out in it, right? Okay, because I live in a glass house, right? Amen. 
Why does God want us to judge ourselves and to keep our weight under control and to do the best that we can to maintain? This is the thing. If you're going, if you're, how many people here change your oil about every three thousand miles, or every five thousand miles, or every ten thousand miles? You know, every fifteen thousand miles, I add an extra quart, right? <laughs> Amen. I add, I add an extra quart every ten thousand miles, whether it needs it or not, right? Amen. Or if something breaks in, or the tread gets too narrow, uh, too skinny on your tires, you know, it's not touching. Abe's head or whoever's head is supposed to touch, right? When you stick your coin in. Belts are hanging out. If we will do main, we'll do maintenance on our car because we're dependent on that car. And, we'll, and, and this is the thing, and I understand that money is, is, a, is a factor for a lot of people. I mean, if, if money wasn't a factor, man, yeah, let's, go, let's, do, you know, let's just replace everything when the manufacturer says, right? Ideally. Well, if we'll do that maintenance because we're dependent on that vehicle, to get us back and forth to work, get us back and forth to church, get us to the job, get us back. We go on vacation. We want to take it. And so we'll do what we can to do the maintenance on it. If we're smart, if we're smart, you'll pull a dipstick every once in a while, right? If you're smart, you're going to look at the tread on the tires every once in a while. You're going to do things to notice to take care of the maintenance of it. Why? Because you're de- you realize you depend on that vehicle for transportation. This is why God would be would want us to take as good care as we can of our body because your body is the vehicle your spirit needs to stay on this earth to carry out your assignment. And your assignment, everybody in here, your assignment is too important for you to let you be riding around on bald tires or cheap gas or two quarts low of oil and breaking your body down before your spirit gets to fulfill your assignment. Amen? And so... But your but your spirit, you you have these three components. So so you have the spirit, you have the soul, you have the body. Now this is the thing: the body is real easy to separate, right? I mean, right? I mean, if I if I punch you in the belly, you don't go, oh, my spirit's killing me, right? Because I haven't figured out how to punch anyone's spirit, right? Yeah, right. I mean, glory to God, if you could do that, man, you could. That would take care of a whole lot of problems. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, that's not meant to be a punch. That's meant to be an encouragement. Right? Because this is the thing. Yeah. Amen. Because you understand your, importance, your, your assignment's too important. Your assignment is too important. Amen. You've got too much to do, man, to be sitting at the side of the interstate with steam coming out underneath the hood halfway through your lifetime. Right? And so, you understand this? So, the body's relatively easy to isolate. But then we've got this thing about uh, the spirit and the soul. People can't. The people and people in the world they can't make that distinction. They don't see three parts. They see two. They see body. They see spirit and soul. And they think and that's why they use the terms back and forth interchangeably when they're not really interchangeable. One reason is when people who are dead, and we'll look at some scripture here in a minute, hopefully, that when you before you're born again, you're spiritually dead. Lord, help me help me get this presented right. Let's see. Hebrews 4.12, you can just write this down. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than two, any two-edged sword. Let's just turn there and look at that real quick. Amen? Mm-hmm. Amen. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living, this is New King James Version, uh, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Okay? It says it is piercing, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, <coughs> that word literally means piercing or penetrating, even to the division of the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. Where's joints and marrow? That's in your body, right? So we're seeing all three parts of man mentioned here again, your spirit, your soul, and your body. Well, it says that the Word of God, you understand this, the Word of God, the only thing that can separate the spirit and the soul is the Word of God. And that word divides, it says the Word of God divides. That means a separation or a distribution. In other words, it's what makes the distinction Oh, thank you, Lord. I'm, st- I'm just getting. I'm starting to see something. And I hope I can articulate it. Is it's what it what co- it's what causes the 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 separation? Okay. Um, in other words, God's word. You're not going to be able to discern where does you you. The unrenewed man cannot discern where the spirit. They can't discern from spirit and soul, and the reason is, is they're dead. Let me give you some scripture real quick. Maybe I can, not maybe, I will. Genesis 2.17. Go back to Genesis. We were right there. Amen. Genesis 2.17. I'm going to back up and read 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Amen. And I, let's back up. I want to take a look at verse seven again. And I've I've ministered on this before. And the Sunday morning, it was a Sunday morning. That tells you how long ago it was I ministered on it. Right? At least over six months ago. And I knew the morning that I preached it. it this is what it, it went whoosh, over people's head. It hit the back wall and come back at me at the speed of light and almost knocked me down. Is how is how it went over. Verse 7, the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became, King James Version says, a living soul. Now, that word, you study that phrase out, living soul, living being. That word living, here's a, this, man, this is a real shocking definition. The word living means alive. Wow, that's deep, ain't it? The word translated soul or being in the Hebrew, it literally means a breathing creature. So this phrase, God breathed into man's nostrils and man became an alive breathing creature. Now, wait a minute. He made animals. He made the fish of the sea. He made the the cattle. He made horses. He made all these other animals. And the last time I checked on any animal I was near, it was breathing. If it was alive, you know, unless it was a you know, unless it was a dead animal cut up on a plate and little pieces put on a plate, right? If they're walking around, most if here's a here's a clue for you. Most animals, if they're up and moving, they can fog up a mirror. They're breathing, right? They're breathing, not breathing, they're breathing. <laughs> a breathing creature. God breathed the breath of life into man and he became an alive, breathing creature. So there's a distinction there between man and all the other animals because it could be rightfully said that the animals had souls. This is another thing. Animals have souls, right? 
Because remember, your soul is your mind, your will, your intellect, and your emotions. You kick a dog enough, and he's got, and, and his soul's got enough sense that I'm either going to bite you on the ankle when you come around, or I'm going to run. Right? Do- animals have emotions. How many of y'all have had pets? And you've seen, you could tell when your dog was happy. You could tell when your dog was sad. You could tell when your cat was happy. You could tell when your cat was mad. Yeah, because cats pout, right? They have a soul. So they have a mind, a will, and intellect, even though it's far inferior to, to man's. They have it. So God, but he makes this distinction in man. All the rest of these things running around, they're breathing creatures. <gasps> that sounds like Darth Vader, right? <clears throat> they were breathing creatures. But when God breathed the breath of life into man, it says that man became an alive, breathing creature. Well, that, first of all, there's a lot of men. There's so much you can get from that. Is is that God? That what God calls alive, obviously, is different than what we call alive, right? God has different criteria. Just because something walks around sucking wind, God didn't say it was alive. He just said it was a breathing creature. Just because it had a pulse, it had a heart rate, and it moved air in and out of its body. God didn't necessarily say that was alive. It was just a breathing creature. So, so the thing that made man, man was distinguished from the animal. Man was an alive breathing creature. So what was it that made man alive? The breath of life that God breathed into man. What was the breath of life? Can we have some conjecture on that? The breath of life was the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Can we see that in other places? Remember, is it in John chapter 18, someone help me out here, is it John chapter 18, where Jesus, after he had been crucified, buried, resurrected, he appeared to the disciples, the disciples in the upper room, and it was before the day of Pentecost, and he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Ghost. Is that John chapter 18? Where is that? John 20. Twenty twenty two. So Jesus said to them, John twenty twenty two. I'm going to back up read twenty one. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is the thing I, I heard one of my instructors say one time. What do you think Jesus was doing here? You think he was just giving them a little Holy Ghost uh, snack bag to last into the day of Pentecost? No, because remember, he's, even after he did this, let's keep our Bible in order. Let's make this stuff make in order. Let's keep it in order. Jesus breathed on them in John chapter 20, and he said, Receive the Holy Ghost. Then Acts, later on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, he told them, he said, You stay in Jerusalem till you're endued with power from on high. Now, what power from on high are we talking about? What happened on the day of Pentecost? Acts chapter 2. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Some people think, you know, when we say Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit, we're not talking about two different things. It's the same thing. One translator translated the word pneuma spirit. One translated the word pneuma ghost. Because different translators worked on your King James Bible to get together. So, but Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. Understand this. When was the 
when we talk about the new birth, being born again, what happens when someone is born? Their life springs forth, right? Life comes forth. So here are these people who the disciples, the apostles that ministered with Jesus, they are spiritually dead. And remember we said that your spirit is the part in you that God placed in you that receives the things of God. It's the eternal part of you that receives that, and it was dead, right? That's something else. Okay, help me, Lord. Back to Genesis. You don't have to turn there. Genesis 2, 17. God told Adam, if you disobey me, you'll die. Okay? And remember, Adam was an alive, breathing creature. And this is where people missed it. This is where Adam missed it because when Eve ate the fruit, he looked at her and said, she ain't dead, but... Really, the responsibility is his anyway. But what I'm trying to say is, is that God said God didn't say you'll stop breathing. It's this defining of terms. I'm not just I'm not just playing semantics here, playing word games. Remember, God's word. God is the one that made the distinction. Adam, you are an alive breathing creature. All the rest of these things running around, they're breathing creatures, but they're not alive because what I call what God calls alive means is that there's a part of on the inside of you that can communicate with Him and receive instruction and hear from His Spirit and be led by His Spirit, and you've got a continual lifeline. You're, there's a part of you that is attached to you. There is a, if you will, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And, you, and, and, and to produce fruit, that, vine, that branch has to stay plugged in to the vine, right? So God placed that, sorry, amen. God placed that, nobody was there, no, there were no casualties. God placed that part of his spirit in you with the intention that it was going to stay plugged in by obedience to him him being the vine, him being the, the source of, of the Spirit, that it stayed plugged into him, and as long as it was plugged in, it produced fruit, and it was alive. But when it got cut off by disobedience to the Word, guess what? It died. It withered, it died, it stopped producing. Notice this, though. <clears throat> it doesn't say that Adam's spirit left him. It was just dead. How many of you remember the story of the fig tree? Jesus walked by and he cursed it. Guess what? They walked by the next day. Guess what? There's still a fig tree there, but guess what? It's dead. It's withered. This is what happened when Adam sinned, when Adam transgressed against God, his spirit died. His spirit died. He went from being a living, breathing creature to just being a breathing creature that had a soul and a body, but he had a spirit, but the spirit was just dead. He didn't lose his spirit. He's He's... He's got this dead spirit. He's a soul and a body walking around with this dead spirit, carrying this dead spirit around. And that's why, because men were spiritually dead. The Bible says that Adam, that after that, after the fall, Adam begat sons after his own image and likeness. I've said that before. The Bible says that originally man was created in God's likeness and in his image. Right? But you read, you study your Bible carefully, and it will tell you that after the fall and after sin entered the world and after Adam died spiritually, he begat sons after his own image and own likeness. Why? He couldn't do he couldn't do it after God anymore because he had, his his spirit had died. And so, this is why man needs to be born again. 
because you're walking around dead. The book of Ephesians even said, we'll look at some scripture here. Amen. Let me give you some scripture. Amen. Book of Ephesians 2, 1. Take a look at that. Ephesians 2, 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. We just come off the Ephesian prayer, you know, where Paul was praying. Uh, and he said, and he said there at the end, he says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. When Adam disobeyed the word of the king and ate the fruit, how many of you ever heard the phrase before called dead man walking? Dead man walking. Well, that's usually a term that they use to refer to people who are on death row. They've already been judged. They've already been sentenced and condemned to death. Now they're just walking around waiting for whatever mode of, method of execution that, that particular state they're in uses to stop their breathing. And they call them dead man walking because judgment's already been passed. They're just waiting the execution. And so they refer to them as dead man walking. How many of y'all know when Adam disobeyed, he became dead man walking? He still got he st- his spirit. He's still breathing. He's still a breathing creature. He's still got his soul, his mind, his will, his intellect, his emotions. He's got this body that he's walking around with. And he's still got the spirit because he didn't lose the, his spirit. Just it's dead. Right? It's dead. And so something had to be done. And so we go back there to why did Jesus come into the world? Well, we understand this is the thing. We've missed it sometimes. Jesus didn't just come back into the world to get people born again. The new birth is necessary to get people into the kingdom. Jesus' main primary mission, remember, all he preached was the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king, Repent, change the way you think, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As a matter of fact, let's even look to this all, the all-famous scripture of you've got to get born again. John 3.16. Because if you haven't looked at it in a while, it, there's something that might just smoke your melon. It, and it might come in real helpful to you when you're trying to minister the kingdom to people. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Uh, let's just back up. Let me back up here. Um, here it is. John 3.3. 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Wow. Verse 5, most, Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So even this doctrine of the church that is, has a biblical foundation, the entire denominations beat the drum and wear it out and wear it out and act like it's the only thing Jesus ever said in the Bible. And he said it one time. He mentions the new birth one time. He only mentioned the new birth as the means through which someone would see and enter the kingdom of God. That's powerful. That's, I don't know about you, but I didn't. I've read that. Man, I've read John chapter 3, John chapter 3, John chapter 3. And man, then boom, when you're like, holy cow. The, he only mentions the new birth as the means through which you enter the kingdom of God. That's powerful. 
That'll mess some of your denominational buddies up. Hey, man, I'm all about the new birth. And yet, I don't know about all this kingdom stuff. Hey, I'm all about the new birth. That's the only way you can get in the kingdom. But it had to happen because man was dead. The spirit was dead. And that part of man that was dead needed to be born again. And uh, Ephesians 2, 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive how you were born again by faith in Jesus Christ. You became a new creature. You became alive. You became an alive, breathing creature again. Not just a breathing creature walking around with this dead, emaciated spirit inside of you. But when you got born again, and how did you get born again? You had faith, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12, what separates the spirit and the soul? The Word of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, hallelujah. Help me, Lord. So, Man had to be born again. Turn to 1 Corinthians 2.14. We're going to try to, I'll try to wrap it up on this uh, scripture here. 1 Corinthians 2.14. We're looking at the Spirit. We have identified through the Scripture the three components of man. You, the real you, is a Spirit. Your soul is your mind, your will, your intellect, your emotions... And your body, your earth suit, it's your license to operate on the earth. It's the vehicle that your spirit uses to, to be mobile and functioning upon the earth. Right? And so the spirit that was dead. 1 Corinthians, remember we said the spirit is the part of you that's alive to God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14. says, let me back up. I, I just want to go ahead and read this whole passage. I love this passage of 1 Corinthians. Let's back up <coughs> to verse 9. Because I heard this quoted so many times, man, when I was a kid growing up. Misquoted, praise God. But, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. How many of y'all heard that? Man, I can remember when I was a kid growing up, I remember hearing them uh, them hillbilly preachers, man, and I love them because I'm a hillbilly preacher. So I don't think that Pastor Bynes busting on any preachers I heard growing up because I'm a hillbilly preacher. It, they'd say, I has not seen, nor has ear heard, has, you know, nor has it entered in to the hearts of man the things that God has prepared for them who he loves. You know, and they'd stop right there. But the scripture doesn't stop there. It says, eyes not seen, nor ears heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But, didn't I say thank God for the buts in the Bible? But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Now you understand this spirit, um, it's capitalized, right? But it's talking about the Holy Spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, if we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. In other words, God's saying, you know, this scripture here where they're saying it hasn't entered into the hearts of He's talking about people who aren't born again. 
that's not applicable to us that are born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. Verse 13. These things we speak not in words uh, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Verse 14. But the natural man, that's the word natural, you just go ahead and, and you could say this, the unregenerate man, the man that's not been born again, the man who is like the likeness of Adam, who has a soul, has a body, but is spiritually dead. Right? That natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. But he who has is spiritual judges all things, yet he rightly judges him, is judged by no one. He is rightly judged by no one. But it says that the, that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit. He, it's impossible. Why? Because your spirit, the natural man is a man who's spiritually dead. And so you understand that what we had to do is God wanted to get you back into a position to where when His Spirit could speak to you, that the Holy Ghost could speak to you and say, Rosalie, I need you to go down to aisle 9. I know you want to buy you some cereal right now, but I need you to hit aisle 7 and go down there and look, there's a person down there that I've been preparing for weeks and, I'm, and you're the laborer that somebody's prayed for to come across their path to witness to them. Or whatever else, whatever else the Holy Spirit may speak to you, the new birth, you, your spirit had to be made alive again so that you could begin to receive things from God, so that that connection that was broken, that you could begin to receive it again. And so I want to ask a couple, let me make sure I've got this. I'll fill out this last one. Uh, the Holy Spirit instructs or communicates the things of God to the spirit of the man. Mm-hmm. Proverbs twenty twenty seven, the spirit of man is the candle or the lamp of the Lord. We maybe look at that verse a little bit more later, but I want to close. Uh, you can go ahead and, and and we'll look at these questions.